Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm not your host, Josh Lindsay, but I am the first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Once again, this week we are doing things a little bit differently. I have been out again for a whole nother week and haven't been able to get together with a Documentary First podcast team, so I'm going to update you about what's been going on over the last week or so, and then we're going to let you listen to Episode 2 of Documentary First. If you're a new listener, you might want to go back and listen to Episode 1, and then if you're an old listener, it might be fun to kind of go back into the archives and look at where we were then and hear where we are now. So just to give you a little bit of an update, um, I have just recently returned from a week-long vacation. I went to Mississippi to be with my family, and also I did two focus group screenings while I was there. I showed the film to family and friends and supporters in Laurel, Mississippi, which is my hometown. And then on Monday, this past Monday, I showed the film to Easy Company veteran and cast member Brad Freeman, along with his friends and family. And it was an incredibly interesting experience. Two stories that really meant a lot to me over these two screenings. In the first screening, I met with Jimmy Bass. Jimmy Bass is a World War II veteran who fought in the Pacific. He then came home and has been living in my hometown of Laurel, Mississippi. He founded a veterans museum there and was incredibly touched by what we were doing and was really blessed by hearing the gratitude of the French people for their freedom. I also met another woman there. Her name is Margie Hohenstein, and she came up to me after the screening with tears in her eyes and said, I am a changed person. I had no idea this is the way the French people felt. I thought they hated Americans, and I have never had any warm feelings toward the French people, but this film has changed everything about the way I perceive the French. And that really blessed me because that is my hope that people will walk away from this film changed. The other thing that was so incredibly powerful to me was in this small screening that I did with Mr. Brad Freeman. We were in a home and we were showing it just on a large screen smart TV. Brad Freeman was there. He was a mortarman with Easy Company. He was under Don Malarkey and who was also under Dick Winters. And he was there as they were helping to take on the German battery at Braycore Manor. If you're familiar with Band of Brothers, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not familiar with Band of Brothers, you should go and watch it. Episode one and two will give you a great idea about some of the things that happened in Normandy. So I'm sitting there with Brad Freeman, my 17-year-old son, Josh, and two other veterans and their wives. And I kind of rushed in there and began to show the screening and wasn't really thinking about the fact that I was actually with someone that had been there in 1944. I also had leaned over to my son, Josh, and said, you know, I know you've seen this before and you know all of these things. You're welcome to sleep if you want. You don't have to feel like you have to watch the whole thing again. And he said, no, no, I'm going to watch it. So I tell you that to set you up for the two things that happened that I'm about to tell you about. I'm sitting there and there's this part that comes on and it is archival videos speaking with Michelle de Valavier, who was the owner of Braycore Manor. And as I hear him talk about Easy Company coming to his farm to liberate it and what they did, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I was sitting there with one of the men that had actually been there. And I was overcome with emotion, thinking that, wow, this man knows exactly what Michel de Valvier is talking about. I wonder what he's going to say at the end. 
And as I watched the film, I watched Brad Freeman watch the film. And he cried, and he laughed, and at the end when I asked him, what did you think? And he said, well, it brought back a lot of memories. It was a very good film. And that meant so much to me. And I felt like that we had done a good job telling that story. And then I looked over at my son, and he is crying and very emotional. And I said, Josh, what did you think about the film? And he got very quiet, and he said, I think I'm a jerk. And we were all stunned because we certainly weren't expecting that response. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you've been working on this project for two years, and I haven't cared. I haven't talked to any veterans. And he said, you sit in history class and you hear things, but they don't really make any difference. Then you meet somebody and it changes everything. And I'm sorry. And one of the other veterans in the room said, well, there's no time like the present to turn things around. And I said, yeah, Josh, you're sitting here with four veterans in the room. And so he did. He began to ask each one of them about their experiences and their stories, and Brad Freeman began to tell him about what his experience in World War II was like, and to talk to Josh about the importance of caring about history. And then when he asked another man, his name was Charlie, about his service and his experience, Charlie said, I served from 1961 to 1966. And I really wanted to go to Vietnam, but they wouldn't send me because I was an instructor at, um, and he was a Marine. Um, I was an instructor, a Marine instructor, and I sent guys to Vietnam. But he said, I was in combat in the Dominican Republic in 1965. Had you ever heard about that conflict? Of course, I said, no. And he said, well, let me tell you what happened. And he told me about being dropped off on a beach with, you know, many, many other Marines and 82nd Airborne without any ammunition. They got on the beach and they were just being shot at all around. All they could do were dig holes and hide. When they were brought ammunition, it was the wrong kind for their guns. Finally, they got the right ammunition. And at that point, they had lost 80% of all the men on the beach. But in 20 minutes, the conflict was over because they finally had their ammunition. And he said, you know what? You can look that on up on Wikipedia, but all the information is wrong. I was there. I know what happened, and that information isn't right. And then he said, through, you know, a cracked voice and tear-stained eyes, nobody's ever asked me my story before, and I've never told that. And to me, that just, I'll never forget that moment. It made me understand even more deeply how important this project is because it gets people talking about their stories. So I just wanted to share those little things with you as, you know, we go into this next week um, and ask you to truly think about supporting our film, listening to the other podcasts to hear what we've been doing, following us on social media, checking out our website. And, you know, I also want to invite you to come to the Chicago screening. Um, It's July 24th. We will be posting things on our social media about how to get tickets. So, you know, if you're interested, check out our social media. We'd love to have you join us. It's at the Lake Theater in Oak Park. And um, it's from 7 to 10. 
There will be some cast members there and crew members there. There's about a 500-seat theater, so it's going to be a really special evening. C.O. Bauer, one of our veterans from the 95th Infantry Division, is going to be there. Also, please send us an email or uh, give us a note on Facebook to let us know you're listening. We would love to get to know you a little better. If you want to share any of your stories with us, uh, we'd love to hear them. So thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the second episode of Documentary First. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Documentary First, a behind-the-scenes look at the girl who wore freedom, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay, also from the Movie Proposal podcast. Today is with me our first filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, everybody. And again, as always, our trusty, dusty research extraordinaire, Jason Rugg. Hey there. So today is our second podcast where we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at the Girl Who Wore Freedom, Christian Taylor's first documentary. Let me tell you what that's all about real quick. Please do so. Yeah, so The Girl Who Wore Freedom is a uh, feature-length documentary about um, the Normandy liberation, we call it, uh, but from the perspective of the Normandy civilians. So um, it's a, a fresh perspective on this World, world War II time period, um, and you know, it's, um, it's really quite moving to hear people who had been occupied by the Germans, liberated by the Allies, talk about what their experiences were. So that's what our story is about. Um, And it's been a very interesting ride for me, and I've learned a lot along the way. So I'm really hoping that through this podcast, we can, you know, educate, inspire, and, um, you know, encourage people to, to do this if they have a story to tell. And in case people don't know already, where can they go to learn more about the Girl Who Wore Freedom and the, the behind the scenes. Ah, thank this. you for asking. Um, www.normandystories.com. That's our film's website, and you can see a trailer there. You can also learn all about the cast and the crew. You can see the behind the scenes story, and we also have a blog every week where we have guest bloggers who write on everything from the five things you should pack to take to Normandy to uh, why you should have a civics test before you graduate high school. So, uh, Check out the blogs. We also have a Facebook page, The Girl Who Wore Freedom, Instagram, and Twitter. So you can uh, engage with us on all those different platforms. So uh, I want to kick off with a little bit of trivia, but trivia from Christian Taylor and actually Jason and maybe myself. The Girl Who Wore Freedom is a documentary. Christian, what is your favorite documentary? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. My favorite documentary. Well... I have to say, I've really been into the Roosevelt's, but that's just because it's recent. So it's been in my. That's it, quite all right. Yeah, that, that's what if that's what came to mind. Now, is that a that's a Ken Burns one, right? It is a Ken Burns one. I do love Ken Burns. And where can you see that? So it's on Netflix right now, and um, there's also my like second favorite, or maybe tied. It's Five Came Back. So Five Came Back are the five directors. Why are you la- that, that was, was going to be yours. Yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I, I don't know this one. Oh my gosh, you don't. No. It's the. Well, you want to tell about it? Go ahead. Yeah. So it's. Uh, at, at talked about in the movie proposal once. Uh, I wasn't uh, paying attention, but go ahead. Me either. (laughs) Uh, It's about five filmmakers who went off to World War II, volunteered to go be the film units, and they're most of the reason why we have the footage we have from World War II, and it's absolutely phenomenal story. And they're Hollywood directors, so Frank Capra, um, uh, John Hughes, was it John Hughes or Uh, Frank Hughes? 
Houston. 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 Yeah, yeah John Houston. Um, oh shoot! Now I'm forgetting their names. I'm looking it up. Uh, Howard something. <laughs> Do you know where we can watch the documentary? Yes, it's on Netflix. Netflix. It's on Netflix. Oh, and and basically, Netflix. what happens is um, the army went to them and said, "You know, you need to come and tell these stories for us." They joined up and they took everything that they knew about making films into the you know this military arena and basically they made propaganda films that were for the armed forces but also for the public in order to support them and then you had some that were documenting documenting exactly what was happening so for example the battle of midway if you've ever watched that uh, film it's shot i mean it's for real it's the real stuff mm. um, woven into that you know story it was William Wyler, Frank yes. Capra, George Stevens, John Ford, John Houston. Yes. Wow, okay. Yeah, five came back. Well, Yours? Yes, mine is, it's not World War II related, but it's definitely related to this film, My Date with Drew. Oh, I've never even heard that. Oh, my gosh. Now, I've mentioned this one also <laughs> on the movie proposal, but it is a young aspiring filmmaker. He moves out to Hollywood, gets some dumb job just to pay the bills. You know, he leaves the Midwest or whatever to come out to L.A., he can't, you know, make it in Hollywood as a film director, but he gets this idea. He's always he's he's about my age, so he's had a crush. He's a Gen Xer. He's had a crush on Drew Barrymore forever, and he gets inspired to try and get a date with her. And back then, you could buy a digital camera from I think it was Circuit City, and they had a thirty day return policy. <laughs> so they had no money. So what they did is they borrowed their friend's credit card bought the camera, had 30 days to film this movie and get a date with Drew, and then they had to return the camera because they had no money, right? So, you know, inspiration by desperation, I guess. And Gosh, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is one of the most entertaining, inspiring films. Did he get the date with Drew? I'm not going to tell you oh, what happened. You now have, have to see where it. Where do you see this? It's on Amazon Prime. Amazon okay. Prime. Uh, I also own the DVD. I love it that much. So <laughs> my date with Drew, check it out. Awesome. I will check it out. Thank right. you for sharing. So speaking of inspiration, let's talk about that. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, this all goes back to a young guy named Hunter who led you somewhere to inspire you. Yeah. So why don't you share that story? So this is 2015, um, and I have four boys. I'm a stay-at-home mom, um, but I began working out of my home uh, doing voiceovers and some acting, print modeling and uh, industrial acting. Uh, that was kind of my focus at the time. But um, one day, Hunter, my son, my oldest son, who was in the 101st Airborne Division, called me and said, Mom, the Army's sending me to France. And I was like, what? We're going to France? And <laughs> We're he's invading like, France. <laughs> he's like, no, Mom, you are not going. And I was like, oh, you just wait. Yes, I am. <laughs> so I will never forget, I was sitting in my garage when that phone call came, and um, I knew there was nothing that could keep me from going to France. I thought at the time that he was going to actually reenact, be a reenactor. Like, I just didn't understand any part of this world at all. And I just thought that his group was going to go over and reenact what happened happened in 1944. And when I asked Hunter, well, what happened? What are you going to do? He said, I have no idea. I just do what they tell me to do. 
So uh, when the time got closer, I said, well, where am I supposed to meet you? He said, Mom, I do not know. I'm just going to have to tell you when I get over there. So the day that I landed, um, I had never been, I'd never driven anywhere like overseas. I had only been to Germany back in high school, and I knew no French whatsoever. And so it truly, I was petrified. I decided to take my second son, who had just graduated from high school, Jacob, and we went together, flew into Paris, took a train to uh, Cannes on the north uh, western edge of France, which is technically Normandy. And then um, we rented a car and drove to Carenton. Hunter told us he was going to be there participating in um, a parachute drop. And I said, well, where is this taking place? He goes, I have no idea. You're going to have to find out when you get there. So um, I was able to figure out how to drive the car. The road signs were a complete conundrum. I have no idea how I got you know, I think I drove two hours or two and a half hours from Cannes to um, to the Carenton. Uh, when we got there, we we um, I was looking around and remember I thought that they were supposed to be reenacting like real reenactors, and I saw this 1944 Willys Jeep with American-looking GIs in there. So I thought, oh my goodness, this is them. So I decided to follow them wherever they were going, and uh, they broke down. And I said, Jake, go find out if we're headed the right direction. (laughs) So he does. He comes back. He's like, mom, they don't speak English. They're French. And I was like, where have I landed? Like I had, it was crazy. (laughs) I, I was totally, they looked so American. And then we saw parachutes, you know, kind of, that's how we found this place. We saw the parachutes falling from the sky and um, we headed in the direction of where they were falling. And I see my son and his little unit with a giant screaming eagle flag walking through the middle of this crowd. I heard Glenn Miller playing on the, you know, the loudspeakers um, in the mood. And it was just this surreal experience for a moment because when I got to the street, I saw these, you know, modern day American soldiers. And then all around them were people dressed as if it was 1940. Wow. And um, it was just, uh, I, I was really speechless. This is a big deal over in France. I don't think most Americans realize how the French celebrate what the Americans did on D-Day. Exactly. Right? I mean, that that's why I was so shocked. I had no idea that this is what they do every year um, to honor well, their liberation. I mean, it, the, and at that time, I think it was the 71st, 71st anniversary of D-Day. So... Uh, within five minutes of finding Hunter, we're hugging, exchanging, you know, greetings, and a beautiful French woman comes up and asks Hunter if she can take his picture. And I was like, well, I'll take your picture together. I'm his mom. <laughs> and uh, so she got, got in the picture with Hunter, took a picture, and she was wearing this green army jacket. And she said, this jacket was given to my mother in 1944 by an American GI. And I said, what? Are you kidding me? Like, is your mom still alive? She's like, well, yeah, she's right here. And, (laughs) you know, here's my dad. And, um, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was, that was the closest I had ever been to an eyewitness of history. And I right away began asking, you know, questions. What did you, what do you remember? What can you tell me? And I was filming at the time and handed the film to my son, Jacob, because I thought this would be an incredible you know, mm-hmm. this would be an incredible moment to film. That was the birth of this film. You, you, did you have like your iPhone or something? Yeah. Okay. And so you got that recorded. Yeah. 
Is that yeah. going to be part of the film? <laughs> and I, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> uh, it, it actually has been on our Facebook page. We probably need to reshare that. Um, but yeah, the, the very first moment, the very first question that I asked um, was on that film. So the seed was basically planted in that moment. Yeah. Um, you have the rest of the time with Hunter. How long were you there? I was there for three or four days, and um, we said goodbye to that family after about 15 or 20 minutes. You know, that brush with history just kind of blew my mind. And on this, you know, this like two-week time period, the French will schedule each day there's a a series of celebrations depending on what happened on that day. So this was June 3rd or 4th, and it began with this, you know, um, parachuting. And then from there, we walked to the next ceremony, which was at the Cabbage Patch, where a huge battle took place. And then from there, we walked to the um, town hall of Carentan for another ceremony. So Hunter was sort of like an honor guard with his guys um, participating in these ceremonies. By the third ceremony, I ended up standing next to this same family that I had just met earlier in the day. And from that moment on, they just adopted us and they took us all around Normandy, you know, to all the other ceremonies and just entertained us for the next three or four days. I never left this tiny little you know, section, which is the, um, it's the, uh, called the American sector. And it's where the 101st and the 82nd parachuted in and where they landed on Utah beach. So it's St. Marie Dumont, Carenton, St. Mary Glees, um, Angleville, right around in there. And, um, during that time, uh, I learned that the mother who was given the jacket had, she had become very famous, um, because her mother, um, made a dress for her out of parachutes uh, in the sort of a sh- re- that resembled the American flag. And so in 1945, uh, Danny was chosen to be in the first commemoration ceremony. So Danny was a little girl during. Danny was five on D Day. Okay. And she remembers soldiers, she remembers the parachutes flying in the night before. She remembers soldiers marching off of Utah Beach right in front of her front door, giving her candy and chocolate. First thing, time she'd ever tasted those. So it's pretty powerful. Wow. And then you went back home. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hear more of that story later, but then you started putting the pieces together to put the film together. Is that right? Yeah. It took me about a year to figure out, could I do this? How do I do this? You know, there's a lot of research and uh, contemplation and trying to figure out. You know, th- this would be a great – I, I want to give a plug for international travel. I always think of my parents because – when I was a kid, my mom uh, taught classes for, I'm not going to say the right class, but it's like you know women who are pregnant and they want to do exercising. Um, anyway, they went to the YMCA. My mom taught the class. And it was all these women whose husbands were doctors that had come over from uh, Ireland. And so then my mom became friends with them. And then my dad became friends with the husbands. And then eventually my, you know, Fast forward a few years, my parents, I'm in high school. Several years later, my parents are now in Ireland visiting friends that they made, you know, a few years ago. And so it's just great that I think that you stepped out and had this experience and met these people who we're going to hear more about this and and how close you've you've become to them. And it's led to this uh, awesome journey and this awesome project. So Yeah. It's been life-changing for me, but not only from me. For these original French family that I met and all of their friends, nobody has ever told their story before. 
So for them, it has just been an incredible journey. Um, to have given them this gift sometimes takes my breath away. I'm sure it does. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot more interesting things we can talk about next, but we should probably be wrapping up. We're yes. going to try to keep these segments to around 15 minutes. So, um, you know, little bite-sized chunks. That sounds good. All right. Well, hey, everyone, thanks for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. So next time on Documentary First, we'll talk about what came next. We're going to learn all about a special woman named Flo. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Bye, everybody.